Good morning. It's good to be back here with you. Had a week off last week. My friend JR was here and he was cracking jokes about me and making fun of me. And, uh, um, but he's not here for me to crack jokes about him. So just friend him on Facebook. Tell him John has these incriminating videos of him trying to do the high ropes course at Refreshing Mountain, which was quite hilarious, as you can imagine. And then just ask him about the black snake in the reptile house and see what he has to say about that. So... Um, but it is good to be back here with you. Um, no crutches this week, so uh, hopefully get some stitches out. And uh, a few weeks off, and then uh, next month, the other side. So I want to be limping around for a little while here, but it's good to be back here with you this morning. In the first service, we had a chance to thank a couple of our elders. Uh, some of you may know them, Bob Hess and Glenn Moeller. They are transitioning off of our team. They've finished four years of serving here faithfully at CCC. So as you cross paths with them, I uh, would encourage you just to extend a word of gratitude to them. Uh, they were elders here during probably the uh, most significant transitions that we've ever experienced in the life of our church, uh, from sabbatical that I went on to the purchase of this land to three-quarters of a million dollars in renovations, debt-free, uh, to the multiple moves till we settled in here, and then the adding of new staff this past year. So a lot of changes that God has walked us through uh, in this past year. One of the things we've been doing this summer is we've been focusing on generosity. And Tim introduced the subject early in the summer and challenged our church um, to consider ways that they could be generous. And one of the things that is very true, we'll talk about this next week, um, in the next two weeks, is the way that you've been generous all this past year. We've just finished our fiscal year, and uh, we finished with a surplus bigger than we've ever experienced in the life of our church. So our, our elders have been praying and asking God for wisdom and direction, knowing what they should do with that, where they should direct those resources. So you have been incredibly generous. And uh, so Tim challenged our church to consider this. And so uh, in the month of June, we, you gave over $5,000 to the church in Haiti. And we'll hear a little bit more about our students' partnership with them uh, next week as they just returned from a week spent down there. And then last month, you contributed this near over $5,000 to the Denver House Project. And Rod Redkay, the executive director, was here with us to uh, talk a little bit about that ministry to meet the social needs of our community in the Cocalico region. And so this month, we want to invite you to give uh, generously towards a family. And so I'm going to ask Reg and Kim Frank if they come and join me here on the stage. And um, as they are coming to join me, Reggie and Kim are preparing to head to the country of Austria, and uh, there'll be some slides coming up behind us just to be scrolling through as we're talking just to tell you a little bit more about that. So let me give this mic to you. So um, uh, they'll be heading to the country of Austria um, as soon as they have their funding to be able to do that. So I've asked them to come and share with you a little bit of their story, how God worked in their life to get them to the place that they're at. So um, Reg, why don't you tell us a little bit about the journey that God took you on because you you and Kim live in Five Pointville, you have a home there, you have you know, good jobs, and, and yet God has redirected you to, to relocate your family uh, to another part of the world to serve Him. So tell us a little bit of the events that transpired to bring that about. Uh, well, we, we've been on this journey for uh, several years now, and I think uh, it all started when we chose to serve in youth ministry several years ago. Uh, so that's where it started, and mm -hmm. from there it, it continued to branch out. So we began leading uh, short-term trips overseas mm -hmm. with the youth, um, and at that point God really started to work in our hearts, and we really started to um, develop a passion for missions at that, at that point. Um, 
And while serving over there, we were confronted with the incredible need. Uh, normally, Austria is not what most people think of as a needy country, but it's definitely spiritually deprived. Mm. So that spoke volumes to us. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like the, the path for you is you started serving and then these trips started giving your heart globally for what God was doing in other parts of the world. And then really the need, when confronted with the need, and here's a slide up behind us, you know, one church for every 60,000 people in Austria where it's one for every thousand in America. And just yeah. uh, there's just not a lot of places for the message of the gospel to go out in that country. So, that so when you talked about the need, um, what did you discover uh, about the, the uh, Austrian people, there in their responsiveness to the idea of God or faith? Interesting enough, um, they're incredibly open. You know, so looking at it as a mission field or the opportunity is great because uh, it's really a blank slate. Wow. Um, So we're really looking forward to the opportunity. So, Kim, can you tell us a little bit as you guys head over there, what will you specifically doing in the country once you settle there? Well, once we're in and settled, we're going to be partnering with a local church that's already there. They have about um, 50 to 60 attending. Um, we're going to join that church and join with the leadership there with working with their youth program, helping develop a little bit more of their youth program. Um, our family does relational ministry, so we're going to be opening our homes to youth like we, we've done here um, and coming up with different programs to get them really interested in getting to know them better. Um, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to be in charge of developing the interns and short-term trip program for uh, Greater Europe Mission in Austria. Mm-hmm. And that'll be having people from the United States or other countries come and see what the spiritual need really is um, and get to experience that a little bit and get to meet the people of Austria and, and share their faith alongside. It sounds like God's given you an opportunity to do the things that you love and the things that you have been involved in. So you're just going to do those things that you've been doing here in another country for the same purpose is what it sounds Absolutely. like. Absolutely. I've, I've led several short-term trips. Uh-huh. So when they came up with this, um, when Greater Europe Mission said, hey, we need to start this program, um, you could just see how God had prepared us mm-hmm. for this. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So obviously one of the challenges to make this transition, to move your family to another to another continent is the financial piece, So and as well as to live there. So tell us where you're at in terms of financial need, Reggie. Uh, we're currently in the process of raising our last $2,000 per month for our ministry and operational budget. Okay. Uh, in addition to our final 15% for our one-time launch fund, which translates okay. to about 5000 Okay. Um, so as uh, another question I had, this just kind of popped into my mind, and either one of you can answer. If if anybody wants to get your newsletter, I mean, I, the card's being passed out. Is that on the card? Is there a way for them to get information or get your newsletter? Is that on the card that's being passed out? Uh, I'm the one that does the, okay. the PR. <laughs> I just got it recently, um, so I was just asking about it. Yeah, so. on the back of the card, there is, um, I believe our blog is on there. Okay. It's, uh, it's frankenmissions.com. Okay. Our son came up with this idea. Um, so there's that. There's also you can go to Greater Europe's uh, website, and if you go to the donate section, um, put our name in. Okay. It'll give you all that information of our Facebook page of our. Um, okay. Of, of all so they that. can find you on Facebook as well, and then they'll yeah. follow. Yeah. Yeah. So we're on there, Facebook so. under Kim and Reggie. Um, just being frank. Okay. So that's a couple ways for them to connect with you. So, um, Kim, one last thing is as we're 
considering contributing to your ministry this month, what are one or two things we can be praying for you as a family this month? Um, I think the first thing is the transition, moving a family overseas. We're leaving two of our older kids here. Um, one's married and the other one has a full-time job. Uh, we're taking our younger ones with us. So just that transition as a family. Um, also coming up with our meeting our goal financially mm-hmm. is a big thing. Um, the church in Austria is really anxious for us to get there. Mm-hmm. Our teammates in Greater Europe Mission are waiting for us also. Um, so those are the, the main things. Okay. Well, we're excited about the opportunity to support you guys this month and praying that we will be able to give generously to what you are doing there. Uh, You can talk to Reg and Kim. They'll be out in the lobby if you have any questions. They're also here every week. They're uh, involved in partnering in our student ministry and have been active in a small group as well. So uh, we're thrilled that the opportunity to partner with them and support them. So would you join me in prayer as we just ask that uh, God would be with them as they continue this journey? God, we thank you for Reg and Kim, and we thank you for the way that they have been uh, sensitive to your call in their lives and you redirecting the course of their lives. Um, God, every once in a while you show up in our lives and you make it very clear that it's time to make a change, and they've been listening to your voice and are trying to follow your lead in this journey. And so, God, I pray that this month we can support them uh, in our prayers and in our words of encouragement. Uh, and our financial resources to help them be ready to take this next step. So God, we thank you for uh, their heart and their lives and the opportunity to walk alongside them in this journey, partner with them. In your name we pray, amen. Would you thank them for joining me this morning? So, Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kim. Dan will tell you a little bit later uh, ways that you can contribute, uh, how you can actually go online and be able to do that uh, to assist them. One thing I've noticed recently on uh, TV shows is they have recently started to introduce game shows that I watched when I was a kid. And so one of the game shows that's recently shown up is this game show called $100,000 Pyramid. And in this game show, you have the other person gives you clues and you have to guess a word or a phrase. And so if, uh, if you were in the $100,000 box and the chance to win and that box came up on the thing and it said this, it said, um, things that absorb, what would you say to give a clue? What's a clue to, to identify things that absorb? A sponge. Okay, what's something else? Come on, something else. A towel. What's something else? Your brain. Okay, what's something else? How about bounty, the quicker picker-upper, a paper towel, you know? Those are just a couple of the things that might pop up when you were thinking about the things that absorb. And as I was thinking about this whole idea of of absorbing, things that absorb, I thought, you know, you could take a sponge and you can kind of dip a sponge in the edge and it gets a little wet, but it doesn't really do a whole lot. You can kind of, you can squeeze some of that out, but then it's done. You can wipe something off. But if you took a sponge like this, a little bit bigger sponge, and you actually put it inside this thing and you soaked all the water that's up inside, you can actually soak up all the water so that this bowl is there's literally empty there's no water then but then this water drips after you absorb something it drips it's kind of fascinating so when something gets absorbed it starts to drip and we're going to talk about being some things that absorb this morning we're going to talk a little bit about that how does something get absorbed not just with a sponge but how does something get absorbed into your mind absorbed in your mind i saw this question on facebook recently someone said 
Um, how many of you can remember your telephone number when you grew up as a kid? Let me see your hand. How many can you... Oh, look at that, all over the room. All right, all at once, everybody say it out loud. 5699852. Okay, you guys all know your phone number when you were a kid. Amazing, amazing. Now, did your parents sit down with you and say, okay, now this is the lesson for today. I want you to memorize your phone number when you were a kid. Nobody did that to you, did they? Did they? No. What happened is you repeated it over and over again. We don't do that anymore because we have speed dial. So now you don't know anybody's phone number. You don't even know your own phone number. Oh, I've got to look on my phone to find my phone number, you know, because of speed dial, right? So we lost that ability to retain something because we repeat it over and over and over and over again. And this morning we're going to talk about this idea of repetition, but more than that, we're going to talk about this idea of absorbing something into our mind, and what we're going to talk about is absorbing God's truth. Absorbing God's truth. Last week, uh, my good friend J.R. began our series, um, Practices That Lead to Transformation. And he introduced the subject to us of a caterpillar, and he talked about the caterpillar's transformation to become a butterfly. And I was watching one of those videos this week of a time lapse of a, of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And it's actually quite a gruesome process. And one individual writing about this described it as being gruesome because this caterpillar goes through this complete metamorphosis, this complete transformation into a butterfly. And as Dare was talking about this with us, he reminded us that... Um, uh, he reminded us that the goal of transformation, the goal of spiritual transformation, is not perfection, but progress. It's progress, not perfection. And he also challenged us to get rid of the metrics, the measurements that we use for our faith journey. The challenge is that we use measurements all the time, don't we? You know, how are you doing this year compared to last year? You know, what's the scale say this year compared to last year? How'd you do in school this year? Okay. How'd your team do this year compared? We're always comparing everything, right? So we live in this world of metrics and measurements and comparisons, and we do the same thing to our faith journey. But as I hear people talk about it, it doesn't leave me encouraged. It actually leaves me discouraged. Because most often when I talk to people about their faith, and what's happening and where they're at and things that they're doing to help them be encouraged in their faith, their statement to me always ends with this phrase, I should be doing more. Now don't raise your hands, but how many of you have said that when you've talked about your faith, when you've talked about reading God's Word, when you've talked about prayer, when you've talked about serving? How many of you have ended a statement, a conversation about any of those practices with, I should be doing more? I have a conversation with a young mom who's, you know, up half the night, sleep deprived, trying to juggle three preschoolers, and she says, and I should be doing more. You know, I have a conversation with a, with a parent who's got kids in middle school, and, and they're in multiple sports and activities, and, and they could just as soon have every car of theirs be yellow with a light on the top and be the, you know, wear, be a, wear a hat as a taxi cab driver, and they say, I should be doing more. I talk with someone that's serving faithfully here. They're involved in small groups. They're, they're investing in their family. And the conversation ends with, I should be doing more. And I find myself wondering, is this the way Jesus designed for us to live life? To be in this perpetual sense of guilt for not doing anything wrong, which means it's false guilt, of saying, I wish I should be doing more. I thought, what would it look like to shift that perception of I should be doing more to a longing to say, I can't wait till the next time. I can't wait till the next time. 
That's a shift in the way we think about our relationship with Jesus. A guilt for not doing it versus a longing to be with Him. A longing to be with Him. And if you were not here with us last week, I encourage you to go online and, and listen to the message that you know, J.R. had for us. And at the end of the message, he talked about these spiritual practices. And he talked about solitude. He talked about prayer, which we're going to talk about the next two weeks. He also talked about soul friendship. And I want to add another one that we're going to talk about this morning. And that's the practice of being absorbed with God's truth. Absorbed with God's truth. Now, notice I didn't say the practice of reading your Bibles. I didn't say that, because nowhere in the Bible will you find God saying, read your Bible. It's not here. Not here. You're not going to find it anywhere. Um, nowhere in the Bible are you going to find a metric that says you should read the Bible 365 days a year. You should read the Bible for a certain amount of minutes. You should you know, have a daily bread and read through that. You should read the Bible, in a devo- and you're not going to find that anywhere. Now, are those things, does that mean we shouldn't do that? No, I'm not suggesting that. Those are all valuable things. But there's no metric for that. The problem is, is we have put our faith in this set of metrics, in this set of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, and a lot of guilt that gets associated with that, when God longs for it to be something very different. You see, the Bible, when it was given, when it was written and given, it was given in a society that was an oral society, not a verbal, you would say it, it was not a written, but an, uh, excuse me, not a written society or a visual society, but it was oral, meaning everything was spoken. In a village, most of the, nearly all the people were illiterate. In ancient cultures, hardly nobody could read. Reading didn't become a common practice until the invention of the printing press. Then there was multiple copies, and people. So what would happen is in a village, there would be usually one learned person. Sometimes it was the oldest person. Sometimes the elder of the village. Sometimes the priest of the village, the religious leader, and they were the ones that were trained and educated so that they could read. But even they didn't all read. Most individuals who followed Jesus, who were rabbis, and who followed after the rabbis, they didn't read the Old Testament. They had it all memorized. They would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So it's a very different culture that they lived in versus what we lived in. And so, how did this become in here? How did they absorb this? How did they absorb it? Let me ask you this question. How many of you in the room are, are ruminators? How many of you are ruminators? Let me see your hands. Come on, put them up there. There's a few of you. Okay, now how many of you live with a ruminator? Come on, put the, okay, there's a lot more hands going up now when I see those hands, you know. Um, You know what a ruminator is? A ruminator is someone that thinks about something over and over and over in their minds, you know. They get it fixed in their minds. Yeah, he's pointing at his mother up here. I see him, you know. They get it fixed in their mind. They think about it over and over again. And they look at it from every different angle and they analyze and evaluate and they exhaust looking at this from all different angles. And if you're not a ruminator, you get exhausted listening to a ruminator ruminate, you know, because it just doesn't stop. Well, that's really what the idea is um, about being absorbed with something. But the difference is when you ruminate about your struggle, about a problem, often you feel worse because it just becomes bigger than it actually really is. Or you become um, weary because you can't find a solution to it. But when you ruminate or you absorb God's truth, something different happens. Something different. There's a joy, there's a peace, there's a subtleness, there's a contentment that can happen when you ruminate on God's truth. 
uh, about a month and a half ago, I was working through some material on, the, on Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1, there's these statements about God and His relationship with us. And one of the statements is that God has chosen those who are going to be His followers. There's another statement that says God has adopted those who are going to be His followers as His kids. There's another statement that says God has forgiven you for all of your sins. And there's another statement there that says God has redeemed you, which means God always wants to give you a second chance. And those four phrases, I just kind of wrote them down of I am chosen, I am adopted, I am forgiven, and I am redeemed. I just started saying those, three, those four words to myself over and over and over and over again. And it's amazing the impact that they had on me. There are days I didn't feel sure of myself and wondered if um, I was going to be able to be successful in something I was trying, and I would just remind myself, I'm chosen, I'm adopted, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed. Um, there's days I didn't always feel you know, worthy because of something I had done wrong or a way that I made a mistake, and I would remind myself, I'm chosen, I'm adopted, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed. There's days I just mess up, and I wonder if I get a second chance to redo that. And I remind myself that I am chosen, I'm adopted, I'm forgiven, and I'm redeemed. Even this morning, just wasn't quite feeling like myself. Some things that were heavy and weighty in my heart. And um, I just sat with those phrases. God, I'm, forgive, I'm chosen, I'm adopted, I'm forgiven, and I'm redeemed. And I just repeated them over and over and over again. And um, God took a little bit of that weightiness away. It's not all gone, like Johnny said. But he took some of the weightiness away and gave me the capacity to move forward in the challenges that were in front of me today. And so I want to talk with you a little bit about this whole idea of absorbing God's truth and what that process looks like. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in your seats there, and you can follow along in the, seat, uh, the Bible in your seat. Um, that is going to be on page 169. Bible's in your seat, or you can follow along in your phone or tablet. And as we dive into this this morning, I want to make an assumption about the Bible because you know, we're going to look at some words that God says and I don't know where you're at in your faith journey and how much of this you believe is true. Um, if you don't believe all of it's true, that's okay. But I think some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning, I hope you can grab hold of, regardless of where you're at in that part of your journey. So the book of Joshua, we've spent time this summer in the book of Judges. Um, and I encourage you to go online and listen to some of those if you've missed any of them or haven't been here. But the book of Joshua precedes this. It follows the people of Israel. They've been in the wilderness they wandered in the wilderness. They were now about ready to cross over into the promised land. And so God's giving them the law a second time. That's what Deuteronomy is, the second law. And he's instilling Joshua as the leader. And as he sets Joshua up as the leader, look at what he says to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey my law, all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. So God gives a pretty simple formula. He says, if you obey, you will be successful. If you obey, you will be successful. 
If you read the book of Judges, you'll discover that the people of Israel couldn't do that. They struggled to do this exact thing. The question is, well, then how do you do that? How do you obey? How do you obey? Well, he goes on in the next verse to say, he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. He says, keep it always on your lips. Now, he's not talking about a Bible lip balm that you can keep in your purse or in your pocket, you know, that you can just put on all day long. But he says, this should be something that comes out of your mouth. It should be something you talk about. Not that you quote, not that you point the finger at somebody, but that you talk about. It comes out in your conversation. What are the things that you talk about that come out in your conversation on a regular basis? Parents, what is something that you talk about all the time? You're what? Your kids, right? Grandparents, what's something that you talk about and brag about all the time? You're what? Grandkids, right? You know? If you are employed, what's something that you talk about? You're what? Your job, right? If you have a, a, a sports team that's your favorite sports team, what's something that you talk about? You talk about your sports team, right? What if you have a hobby that you have an interest in that you're really excited about? What do you do? You talk about your hobby. You see, you talk about the things that are on your mind all the time. All the time. And so what Joshua says, or what God's saying to Joshua, he says, Joshua, if you obey, you're going to be successful. This is how you, have to, how, this is how you obey. The first way you obey is, is my truth, my word, has to be something that's on your mind so it comes out in conversation. Just think to yourselves right now, when was the last time in a conversation something about God came out? And it wasn't a profanity. When was the last time in a conversation with anyone something about God came out of your mouth as you were talking with someone? Again, I'm not saying that you're quoting Scripture, but it's just part of your conversation. It's part of your conversation. You see, when, when this sponge gets absorbed like this, and it completely absorbs all the water in this dish, what happens after the sponge absorbs it? What does it do? It just drips with water, doesn't it? And that's what God says should happen with us. He said, if you absorb my truth, not if you just dabble in it, not if you just take a little bit, that's not going to drip off, is it? That's not going to drip off. But you have to absorb my truth, and then what's going to happen? It's going to drip. It's going to drip. And he said, if you can find a way to be absorbed with God's truth, what's going to happen is it's going to drip out of you. It's going to drip out of you as you have conversations with people. One of the cool things is that when you talk about what you hear here, your retention level goes up. It goes up. You know, when you listen to something, you retain about 10% of what you hear. So you know the next thing to do to help retain something? What, what, do you, what do you need to do beyond hearing? Anybody have any idea? What do you have to do? You have to write it down, right? You've got to write it down. So you go from 10% at about another 20 or 30% when you write it down, right? You know? But you know what the next step is to retain something? You have to tell it to someone else, and then it goes up like 50%. So it's not just sitting here listening 
Even writing it down, it's when you talk to someone else about it. You see, I know a message that I've spoken sinks in, not when you come out through the door and say, oh, that was a good message, John. You can do that. I like it when you do it, so don't stop doing that. But when you say something to me in an email or the next week and you say, you know that thing you talked about? Then I know it's stuck and it's absorbed because it's starting to drip out. And that's what God says to Joshua, I want you to do with my truth. He says, I want you to keep it in your mind so that it drips out. He then goes on to say, I want you to meditate on it day and night. You say, what's meditate? All I know is Eastern mysticism and meditating and people chanting, and I'm not quite sure that's you know, what God intended for us to do. So what's, what's this whole idea of meditation? Well, that's why I talked to you earlier about the whole idea of ruminating. It's really that idea of ruminating and sitting with something and mulling over it over and over and over again. One of the best illustrations for this is right here. So what's Bessie doing right there? What's she doing? She's ruminating, yeah. <laughs> How's she ruminating? <laughs> How's she ruminating? She's chewing her cud, right. She's chewing her cud, right? For those of you that don't know this, you know, the cow has four stomachs and it goes down and comes up and it goes down and comes up and goes down and comes up and goes down and comes up and then goes out, you know. That's what happens to it, you know. And it, it milks all of the nutrients that are in there that are possibly there, milks all of those nutrients out so that it can gain all the benefit. And that's the idea of meditating. You see, meditating is not reading a verse each day and then forget, not remembering, with thinking about it at all, and then coming the next day and reading another one. That's not meditation. Meditation is when you sit with something over and over and over again, and over time you absorb everything, every single thing that there is for it to be part of it, and then it drips out of you. And so he says, I want you to meditate on it day and night. And he's not specifically saying in the morning and evening. It's a metaphor for constantly. He said, I want you to be thinking about this all the time, all the time, all the time. And then he says, what's going to happen is then you'll be careful to do what it says. And then prosperity and success. Again, this is not a magic pill, but this is saying that things will be different in your life if you are absorbing God's truth. It's going to alter the way that you live. I don't know if you've wondered about certain individuals. Why does that person, why do they change? How do they change? How do they become like that? There's a good possibility that they were absorbing God's truth and it changed the way that they lived. You see, the goal is not just information. The goal is not for you to have this memorized like the rabbinical um, leaders would. That's not the goal. The goal is that your hearts and your minds would be transformed, would be changed. That's the goal of what God wants to see happen. So what does this practically look like? How many of you have ever read, a, have been reading something and you read a page in a book and you got to the end of that page and you realized, I have no idea what I just read. How many of you have had that happen? Okay, most of us, okay. How many of you have been watching a movie or a TV show and you kind of zoned out through it and you're like, oh, what happened? I just missed that whole section, right? I mean, I was trying to watch an episode of The Green Arrow this last week. I watched that thing three times, and I kept zoning out every time. You know, it took me forever to get through that. Um, but we've all had that experience, right, where we've, we've looked at something, and we've read it, but our mind hasn't grabbed hold of it. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you then go back and reread that next page? How many of you do that? 
Oh, a lot less hands. <laughs> Some of you just, ah, I missed that. Let's just keep them right on moving, right? You know? What was that assignment for a reading that you don't really care about? Well, then you just, somehow you read it. You're not sure how, but your mind got to the end of the page. Um, but it's not just reading just for the sake of getting the assignment done. It's not just reading just to be finished. It's allowing your mind to absorb that. What happens when that takes place? Well, look at Hebrews 4.12. It says this. It says, For the Word of God is alive and, sh- uh, alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you just glance over a verse, when you just read it once and go on, it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't get very deep inside you. But when you sit with something over and over and over again, when you allow when you allow your heart and your mind to absorb God's truth, it starts to sink deeper. It starts to look at things nobody has pointed out to you. It starts to pay attention to things that you wonder, where did that thought come from? Why did God point to this area of my life? And that's what happens when you meditate on God's truth. The writer goes on to say, nothing in all creation is hidden. Everything's uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He says, God knows us. He knows every part of us. He knows all of our thoughts before we even act on them. And when we open God's word, when we expose ourselves, when we meditate on God's truth, it opens our eyes and points things to us that we've never seen before. They say, how does this happen? Well, I don't believe most of the time God does it through an audible voice, but he guides our minds and our thoughts to help us see those things. The Psalms is a book written by, a series of Psalms written by David. And he talks about this concept over and over again. Look at a few of these verses. He says, Whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night. He said, My heart grew hot within me while I meditated the fire burned. He meditated and it stirred something up deep inside of him. Then your temple, O oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love. When was the last time you just sat and thought about God's love for you? Not just singing it a song like we do periodically, but if you sat and just reminded yourself, I am unconditionally loved by the creator of the universe, no matter what. I am unconditionally loved by the creator of the universe, no matter what. He says, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Turn to Psalm 119. Let's read a few verses from there. Psalm 119 is page 495 in the Bibles there in your seats. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, uh, for you trivia buff, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, David wrote a 26 eight-verse segments about the value of the Bible to him. And that's what Psalm 19 is all about. Uh, so here's a few of them. Uh, Verse 15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts. That's just another word for God's word or for God's word of the Bible. And consider. So he's meditating, he's absorbing it, and he's thinking about God's ways. Um, He says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. It's not just a once and done, it's constant. Let me read a couple more for you. Look at verse 23. He says, Though rulers sit together and slander me, I'm going to meditate on your decrees. David says, even when life is hard and and it's all coming at me and it's all against me, I'm going to think about, I want to absorb what you have to say. Look at verse 27. He says, cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I might meditate on your wonderful deeds. Skip down to verse 48. I reached out for your commands. 
that I might meditate on your decrees. And then down to verse 78. He says, May the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. Even when I'm treated unjustly, I want to sit and think about, I want to absorb what God has to say in my life. So practically, what does this mean, and how do I do it, and how often, and when, where, and how? And I'm not going to give you a lot of those metrics that we talked about before, because I think those metrics just get, us, uh, get our minds distorted and wreak havoc. But I want to give you some direction in terms of how you sit with and think about God's Word. If you're reading a story in the Bible, you'll often hear me do this on Sunday morning. I'll invite you to step into the shoes of that character. We did that last, over the last couple of weeks with a character by the name of Gideon. And we talked about what it was like for Gideon being the youngest son, being the one who had no confidence in himself, but God said, you're the man that I'm going to use. What was that like to be in that situation? What was it like to feel like that? What do you think was running through Gideon's mind when all of a sudden he has this, 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 uh, this group of troops and God says, no, that's too many. Make it smaller, make it smaller, make it smaller. And it's like, how in the world am I going to win with these guys? By the way, we're playing trumpets and smashing something we made in art class, you know? And so sometimes to stand in the shoes of those individuals and imagine what it would be like to be in that world. Sometimes just asking yourself, what would it be like for me to do what God says with my spouse? What would it be like for me to do with what God says with my kids? How would I do what God says with my coworkers? What would I do in this situation if someone made fun of me for what I believed? And so you just ask yourself a series of questions and what you're doing is you are slowly absorbing this truth. And the more you absorb it, the more it's going to keep dripping out of you. You say, but John, I know you're thinking that in your head, but John, that Bible, it's an old book. I don't really understand it. And you're right, it's an old book. It's an ancient Near Eastern document is what it is written several thousand years ago in a time, in a culture, in a place that most of us have never visited and can't even fathom what it's like. And so that's one of the reasons that we love on Sundays to be able to talk to you and explain to you what God's Word means, what it says, what in the world is going on. So that when you go home, and that's you often hear me encourage you, why don't you take a Bible with you if you don't have one, and, and that way you can mark it and read through it so you understand what's going on. Then you tell somebody else about it. It is an old book, and it is a challenge to understand. How about this one? It's boring. It's boring. Now, I will say to you that there are parts of the Bible that, yes, are boring. They are. You're like, Oh, John said it. That's good. I could, I've been thinking that. You know, There are parts that are just hard to understand. And I, I had Old Testament professors in seminary that said, they would get all excited about this list of names. I'm like, I have no idea why you're all excited about that because that's just a bunch of names. I have no idea who those people are. You know? um, and so if you find yourself reading something that's boring, my encouragement to you would be move towards something that you, you can grab hold of that makes sense. Because you know what will happen over time? Over time, as you understand that and that makes sense and you grab hold of it, you're going to develop a curiosity about other parts that are a little bit harder. 
You know, when you teach someone a new skill, you don't teach them the hardest part of the job first, do you? No. You teach them the easy part. Once they've mastered that, okay, now let's learn this. And once they've mastered that, now they learn this. And once they've mastered that. And so part of your journey, one of the frustrations I ought to see with people is they try to crack open this book and they're like, I'm going to read this whole Bible. They get through the stories in Genesis, the laws in Exodus, and by, or the, and by the time they're into Leviticus, they're done. You know. Don't start there. But talk to one of the pastors. Talk to your small group leader. Let's start with something you can grab hold on, hold of and that you start to absorb it. Because I think if we were able to absorb God's truth and it would leak and drip out of us, instead of trying just to do what I think I'm supposed to do and check the box, I just wonder if God might change us in some ways we've not known before. Here's one more. Oh, I don't have time for that, John. You know, you, you get paid for this stuff. You get to sit in your office, even though it's a little dusty right now because it's under renovation. You get to sit in your office. You, know, you can think about that. And it is. That's, I, I, I honestly will tell you that one of the great privileges of my life is that I get to sit and read and think about this. Absolutely. Absolutely is. You say, John, I, you don't, do you know my life? I just don't have time. I don't have time. And, and you're right. In your current schedule, most of you may not have time for this. But the truth is, if you want to get yourself into shape, what do you have to do? If, you, if you're out of shape and you want to get in your shape, what's one of the things that you're going to be told to do? You have to do what? Exercise. Okay. If you want to lose some weight, you've got to change your what? Diet, right? If you want to learn a new skill, you might have to go back to where? School. So to make any kind of change in your life, to do any of those three things I suggested, is means that you're going to have to make some kind of sacrifice. You're going to have to give something up you're currently doing and stop doing it so you can begin to do or do more of something that you want to do to bring about a change in your life. You're not going to be able to absorb God's truth unless you recognize that it's going to require a sacrifice of your time. It's going to require a sacrifice of your time. Now, my suspicion is that most, if not all of you here, because you're here, somehow want God to be a part of your life. And you would certainly love for the fact that God's a part of your life. Somehow, some of the bad things in your life, some of the struggles in your life, some of the pains in your life would go away or lessen and some good things would increase. But those are not just going to magically happen because you walk through these doors. Can God do something supernatural? He absolutely can. But He says, I want to meet with you over and over and over again. And I want you to absorb my truth in such a way it just keeps dripping out of you. Every change in our life requires sacrifice, and most often it requires sacrifice of our time. So how would you answer this question? Do you want God to transform your life? Do you want God to change you? Do you want to change? Do you want to be a different person than who you are sitting right here today in August of 2017. Do you want to be a different person in the next month, the next year? I think most of us do. 
And the question for you then is, are you open to absorbing God's truth? Are you open to absorbing God's truth? I'm not promising you that if you absorb God's truth, the change is going to happen tomorrow or the next week, but I'm fairly confident that if you absorb God's truth week in and week out over a series of days and weeks and months, God will change you. He will. He absolutely will. And so my challenge for you this week is I want to challenge you to absorb a few verses in God's Word. I want to challenge you to absorb Psalm 19, not 119, not that long one we were just in, Psalm 19, 7 through 14. So take out your phones, write this in your notes section, take a picture of the screen. I want to invite everyone this week to absorb Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. That's seven verses. That's it. That's it. So write this down, take a screenshot, do whatever you got to do to absorb. You say, well, how do I do that, John? Well, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You might read it a number of times, several times each day. You might read it in the morning when you wake up, or maybe in the evening when you go to sleep. Maybe you'll listen to it when you're on your way to work. Maybe you'll write one of these verses down and put it on a sticky note somewhere to remind yourself. It doesn't matter how you do it. The challenge is for you this week is to absorb God's truth. And by the way, if you get bored, find something else and absorb it absorb it. And all I'm asking you to do is tell me what happens. Tell one of the other pastors, tell your small group leaders, tell us what happens when you spend a week absorbing God's truth. Because we are very confident that if you allow God's word to soak into your life, that it's going to drip out in some pretty remarkable and amazing ways. Absorbing God's truth, we believe, can lead to transformation. And it's our prayer that as a church community this week, we enter into it and see what God does. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer as we close? God, it's remarkable to me that you have given us this book called the Bible. Um, that was written several thousand years ago in another culture, in another place, in another time. And this book, if we allow it to be absorbed in our lives, can change us. It doesn't make all the pain and struggle go away. But it reminds us of your presence. It comforts us with your love. It opens our eyes to direction. It brings us peace in the midst of storms. Um, God, it just does remarkable, remarkable things. And my prayer this week is for our church that we would sit with and absorb these few verses this week. And that as we absorb them, God, that some pretty amazing things would start to leak out and drip out of us. God, I think that's what we really long for deep in our hearts. We can't do this without you. In your name we pray. Amen.